0: A little while ago, the youth team and I went on an adventure. Now, normally, <laughs> normally the youth team groan when I take them on adventures, because of a time where I was driving a minibus to a conference with them, and we got lost. And I said, we're not lost. We're on an adventure. And they remember that, which uh, <laughs> is sad. And they also remember the time we went on an adventure to London, where were going to an escape room. Now, if you don't know what an escape room is, Uh, It's a game where you're locked in a seemingly plainish room and you have exactly 60 minutes to find your way out, to decipher codes, to work puzzles through, to finish off challenges in order to escape and make the door open. And if an hour passes and you're still in there, it's game over. Now, i had already been in this escape room that I took the youth team to And I thought this would be an excellent opportunity to see how well they work together in the room. I'm not going to go into the details of that, but if you want to talk to me about it another time, you can. I even got to watch from the control room on the screens and encourage them through the radio from time to time. And uh, I'm glad to say that they did indeed escape within the hour. And this room had a 30% success rate. So it shows you how competent our youth team really are, (laughs) which is good. They, they did it in 45 minutes. He nearly even remembers the time. That's how brilliant he is. Um, so, that is evidence there that they can escape an escape room. And if I hadn't, if they hadn't escaped the escape room, my rotor would have been entirely thin for the duration of that term in 2015. Now we're not going to talk any more about escape rooms for the time being. But I need to bring you up to date. If you are with us for the first time today, then you need to know that we're progressing through a sermon series, which is why on your notes it says number 14. And the sermon series is built on a prophetic word that we had from November 2018. And at this stage in the series, we're talking about cages. And as you all know, cages keep people trapped. There's no freedom if you're in a cage. And the cages we're talking about include physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional health. And we believe in a promise from God that he wants to set people free from these cages And if you were here last week, Philip Mills did an excellent job about talking about dealing with depression, another cage that keeps people uh, trapped throughout some of their lives or even all of their lives for some. And he talks about how people can be set free through trusting in God and his word. And today we're going to look at another cage, another cage that is essentially summed up by the word temptation. It can keep you trapped, it's another vice of the enemy of God who is called Satan that is used to trap Christians in the battle for their mind. And we're going to focus on one particular verse, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, which follows 12 verses where Paul the Apostle is writing a letter to the Corinthian church warning them against such sins as idolatry and sexual immorality and grumbling and putting Christ to the test. And he uses Old Testament references in those 12 verses to show them that even those who walked alongside Moses and experienced amazing miracles like the parting of the red sea manna from heaven and so on still fell into temptation and still sinned even though they'd seen these great things and so therefore how much more should we be on our guard as christians who know and love and follow jesus against temptation he then concludes this short history lesson in the 12 verses with this verse verse 13 it says no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We're going to focus, we're going to drill down into this verse and use three headings to do that. The first is the truth about temptation. The second, why we can tackle temptation. And the last, how we can tackle temptation. You can see how my mind works. So let's start with the truth about temptation. The word for temptation uh, is a Greek word, perasmos and means temptation or test, and it can apply in both senses simultaneously depending on the context, the positive test and the negative temptation, and there, it, there is a function of the context, not merely the word itself. And so I want to focus on temptation, the negative side if you like, because temptation is the enemy's secret weapon. A couple of weeks ago, Tim described how the enemy will try and land Thoughts that are unhelpful and lies on the landing strip of your mind. However, if you have prevented him from doing that and you've shut him out of your heart, well, it's then that he'll unleash the big guns. In this regard, temptation is a pretty big gun. He'll deploy this weapon as an assault on followers of Jesus to try and draw them away from the truth in the battle for our mind. And the victory really begins if we can defeat temptation at the very start. And so there's some truths you need to know about temptation if you're going to tackle it. And the first one is this, that temptation is sure to come. Do not be deceived. Jesus makes this very clear. He says it to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. Now let me say this, no matter how much you mature in Christ, no matter how many Tim Keller books you read, no matter how old or wise you become, you're going to face temptation. And we don't outgrow it. We need to be on our guard against it. There's a secondary warning here from Jesus as well about uh, causing others to sin. And he's talking specifically about little ones or new believers in that regard. And I don't know about you, but if I have fallen into temptation and then sinned, it's very tempting again to draw someone else in with me so so I don't feel bad. So if I open a packet of chocolate biscuits and eat one, knowing actually I shouldn't, I should be on a diet, I shouldn't eat that many, and then I've eaten half the packet, it's very tempting to go to Sophie, would you like a chocolate biscuit as well, and draw someone in. Now Sophie's not a new believer, it's a little bit different, but that's the point, he's saying don't draw others into sinning, uh, there's a very severe punishment for that. But the reality for, of temptation is it's not going anywhere, it's going to exist in your daily life all the way through to the end, in a form of adverts and bargains and language All of which afflict our defenses in this battle. And it says in Philippians that we're to have the mind of Christ as Christians, pure, true thoughts. Now, I'm not going to claim to have those all the time. There are many circumstances where I am tempted, my thoughts, I'm tempted in my thoughts to think things that are untrue or that are wrong, particularly during trials, particularly during miseries. You know, when my football team have lost, it's very tempting to think, oh, why do I bother? I'm not going to bother supporting them anymore. Things like that. It's this internal battle, and your thoughts can be afflicted at any moment in your day. Uh, You may have even experienced this when you've been praying. Charles Spurgeon was someone who shared that experience. He said this. He said, yes, even when you are in prayer, it may happen to you that thoughts, the very opposite of devotion to God, will come swarming into your brain. A little noise in the street will distract you from communion with God. And almost before you're aware of it, your thoughts, like wild horses, will have gone galloping over the hill, and you hardly know how you will ever catch them again. Temptation is not going anywhere. That's the first truth you need to know. But it is not sinful. This is the second truth. Temptation is not sinful. sinful. Being tempted and sinning are two different things. And we know this because Jesus was tempted but did not sin. He shared in this experience with us. It says in Hebrews two eighteen, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And you might be in that position today where you're suffering while being tempted. Well, just be reassured, Jesus has been through that as well. Another verse from Hebrews four fifteen says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus became a human being in order to share in everything we experience, good and bad, and therefore he did experience temptation, but crucially did not sin. You see, to be tempted is not the same as sinning at all. At the point of temptation, the temptation is harmless. And we must not get condemned because we are tempted. You must not go around going, oh, I was so tempted today, I feel so awful, because that isn't sin. However, giving in to temptation is the thing that makes us feel rotten. I'll give you an illustration um, like this. So say, say you are on a diet, in fact, and the thought of a delicious Krispy Kreme donut comes into your mind. Initially, you reject the thought. You go, no, I'm on a diet, I can't. And then it comes back an hour later. And then you decide, all right, to get my mind off this thought, I'll go for a walk. And you go walking outside, and you go past Tesco, and suddenly the thought comes in, they have Krispy Kremes in Tesco. And then another thought comes, don't we need more milk? I think we do. I better go to Tesco. In you go to Tesco, and you're walking in, and then you see the green and white display to your right-hand side. You can tell how well I know my Tesco. And you think, okay, maybe I'll just... I'll have a look at them. There's often, there's often perspex between me and the donuts, so I'll just look. I'm not gonna eat one, maybe. I'll just look. You go and look at them, and then smell them. Ah, oh, smell so good. And you get to the screen, and the door's already a little bit open, you think, I really shouldn't. But before you know it, your hand has taken one and put it into a bag, and then you go, oh, it's three for 4.99, I'll have two more, thank you very much. <laughs> but I'll share them, I will share them. And then the next thing you know, you're outside Tesco and you've eaten all three and you feel damaged, you feel condemned and you feel slightly unwell because you have eaten all three. See, the temptation to go to Tesco, the temptation to eat the Krispy Kreme is not the same as sinning. And of course, it's a trivial example, but it's an example all the same. But you see the process there. Thought, compromise, sin. You eat too many Krispy Kremes, death. (laughs) Okay, so you've got it. But the same temptation exists around things like social media. You think, oh, just go on Facebook for a minute. Two hours later, you're still looking at your phone. Why are you there? Why are you still on social media? You say, I could have read a Bible book by now. I could have read the whole of Titus. But I haven't. Just found out what Julie's doing on Tuesday. I don't care about that. Or youth, perhaps you're tempted to go for the games thing, even in a lesson, even in a sermon. Uh, and you resist that temptation phenomenally well most of the time, but then it's just too much. You want the high score. <laughs> you want the high score, so you go for it. I hope Quincy's not looking. But for me, in my personal experience, there's a, there is a temptation all the time, and it, it comes in the form of relationships and conversation as well. I'm often tempted... To say something inappropriate or i'm tempted to say something that's just funny to make people laugh or i'm tempted to exaggerate make myself look better than i am and that temptation is there and i'm glad to say i hope you agree sort of maybe 80 percent of the time i resist uh, but i have to confess there are times where i have fallen for the temptation and that's important again as christians we know that okay if we fall foul of temptation if we do sin we have a loving savior jesus who we can go to and confess and receive forgiveness and grace again, but it's important to know that temptation is not sin, and that's why we've got to learn together to cut temptation off at the very start, to not even get near the cage of temptation, because we don't want to go into that. And we'll talk a bit more about that later. The third truth you need to know is that temptation is not unique to you. So our verse 1 Corinthians 10:13 makes it really clear at the very start. It says, "No temptation." has overtaken you that is not common to man. And this verse really helps us avoid the line of thinking that goes, oh, no one else understands what I'm going through. Oh, it's so difficult. It's so challenging. Oh. Now, some people believe that this particular verse actually speaks about the man, Jesus Christ, common to Jesus Christ, and the things he experienced. And then there's other commentators who suggest that it's just another way of saying there's nothing new under the sun, that actually all temptation is part of the human experience and always has been. And You can see evidence of this in the Bible if you open it. There's people who are tempted to idolatry like those in Exodus who form a golden calf and then bow down to it. There are those who are tempted to sin sexually like Joseph in the book of Genesis who is almost ensnared by Potiphar's wife who wants to sleep with him but then he runs away. There are those who are tempted to be dishonest and selfish like Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. And Bible-wide, there are people who are tempted to not trust in God or who he is. And so why does our enemy spend time tempting us? Why does he do this? Why does he get men and women to be tempted? Well, he knows we're susceptible to it. We know, he knows that no one is immune. And that's where the battle lines have been drawn. That's the truth about temptation. So now we've got those. Why can we tackle temptation? We need some reasons. Well, again, we go back to our verse for the why and the how. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So why can we tackle temptation? Because A, God is faithful. Ah, Hallelujah, not us, God. God is faithful. Often we're unfaithful, but God is indeed faithful. And he keeps his promises. That's what it means. And one of the promises that's a huge comfort to me is that he will never leave us or forsake us. It's an amazing comfort. It's a wonderful thing to be able to say about our God that I'm not sure that many other religions really can say. Our God is faithful. He doesn't give up or give in or back out when we fall foul to temptation. His desire for you and for me is to see us flourish, to see us reign in life. It's why he doesn't want this cage to get wrapped around us and keep us in. He's faithful and he gives us the wonderful evidence of this in the form of his son, Jesus, and grace. Now, I hope you have an understanding of grace this morning. Um, I remember an acronym for this. I quoted it at my granny's funeral, in fact. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. Easy to remember, grace. And if you want more information on that, please do Freedom in Christ. Please do the grace course. But God's given us evidence of his faithfulness in those things. And it's one of the reasons why we can tackle temptation. Another reason we can tackle temptation is because God will not let us be tempted beyond our ability. And Paul declares this truth, and I love how personal it is. It says, we'll not let you be tempted beyond your ability. God, in his sovereignty, has control. He will only allow so much to afflict you. And to help paint a picture of what this is kind of like for me, uh, often I go walking in a place called Happy Valley, walking, praying, singing, things like that. And uh, people walk their dogs there a lot of the time. And uh, occasionally there's like a small dog, they are just like, oh, that's ridiculous. And then occasionally there's a massive dog, which is like, why do you own a bear? That is crazy. And, uh, and they, they vary in two ways. Some are on a lead and some are not. And it's the bear-like ones, when they're not on a lead, that make me tense up and keep me kind of still and my hands up here and I'm seeing hallelujah, open my eyes, ah, <laughs> like that, put my arms in. And, uh, and they're the ones that I'm actually scared of because they're not, they're not controlled. They could do anything. I don't know them. They don't know me. I'm not naturally scared of dogs, but like bear-like ones, you know, I'm fairly susceptible to being scared of them. But then there's other dogs that come along who are on a lead, and I can be like, oh, I should be like that, open my eyes, oh, it's on a lead, I'll shut my eyes again. Because I know that they're controlled. I know that they can't come any further than their master will let them come, and the same is true for Satan. God will only allow him so much. If you read the book of Job, you'd see that God. Uh, is asked by satan what can i do to him how much can i do and god only allows so much and the true is same is true with temptation he will only allow so much he won't let it go too far he won't let it go beyond what you can bear it says in another translation we also have this other promise in scripture from 1 john 4 verse 4b it says he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world he's talking about the holy spirit the holy spirit that comes to live inside us when we put our faith in jesus the holy spirit is so much greater than satan satan has no power relative to the power of the holy spirit living in us in us and it's the holy spirit we can call out to and call upon and say help me holy spirit i need to resist i need to overcome this show me the way out god won't let you go through anything that he knows you can't overcome He'll he'll enable you to endure it. And it means that I know when I'm next tempted that there will always be a way to overcome it, which brings us to our third truth about why we can overcome, tackle temptation. The latter part of the verse reads, with the temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Again, we should find this comforting and reassuring as Christians that when there is temptation, there will also be made a way of escape. However, there may be 20 other ways of escape as well. We are to discern God's proper route. In a trial, in normal life, we need to ask God, what, how do I, what's the escape route, God? How do I get out of this? And I want to look back at the Old Testament again, uh, at a story from the book of Daniel, chapter 2, where there are some Jews who are held in a place called Babylon, called Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and I'm going to call them Radshak and Beni, just to keep it short in the story. But they were under the uh, authority of Nebuchadnezzar, the king at the time, and uh, he was encouraged to create a decree that meant that everybody, when they heard a certain music, had to bow down to the idol that he'd created, and that the consequence of not bowing down was to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And I suspect that these Jews probably had a discussion about this at some point, but they knew then that they could not go ahead and break the commandments of their own God, Yahweh, by bowing down to another God created by King Nebuchadnezzar. And they would have also known, and possibly been very tempted to, bend their knee to this God when the music piped up to avoid certain death in the fiery furnace. I'm going to suggest that that was somewhat tempting for Shadrach and Beni. Because they knew that all they'd need to do is just bend one little knee, just get down, and, and that's it, we're okay, we're clear. But they didn't do that. They refused to break God's laws. They refused to find an unrighteous way out of the situation. And lo and behold, they were indeed thrown into the fiery furnace, all three of them. And then the people who threw them in stood back, looked into the fire, went, who are those four guys standing in the fire. Didn't we throw in one, two, three? Did you throw anyone else in? No? Oh, okay. In the fire stood them, another figure who some believe uh, is in fact Jesus. And as they stood in the flames, they didn't scream. They didn't shout. They didn't cry out, but instead walked out of the fire and stood among those who threw them in. They endured the test. They went through the flames, and as the prophets and officials of the kingdom gathered around them to look at them and touch them, they could see there was not a mark on them. Not even the smell of a bonfire followed them out of that fiery furnace. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, marveled at them and decreed that no one was to say a word against Yahweh, their God. Through trusting God in their trial, they had had transformed a whole kingdom. Now, with that temptation closely tied was a way of escape alongside their god who is in the fire with them and similarly we can endure temptation and search god for the proper escape we can trust in him even if it means more suffering even if it means actually this is the harder route this is the narrower path we can do that we can rely on him and we must be aware not to attempt to escape trials and temptations by our own making, and I, I'm susceptible to this. Like, I find human solutions all the time. If you've got a problem, I would like to find, I quite enjoy, in fact, finding the solution. But often, the solution for Christians is pray, trust God. And it's not really what you want to hear at the time because you think, Well, I could just fix this this way. But actually, no, God calls us to find the proper escape route from temptation. There may be an easier path, there may be 20 easier paths, but it's not necessarily the righteous one the route that God has ordained. Also it's really important to remember just at this point that anyone here who's not a follower of Jesus does not have this support that we have. And which is why it's not fair for us Christians to judge someone who's not a follower of Jesus for not resisting temptation because they're not in the same position as us. They're a victim of sin. They're a victim of the enemy's schemes to deceive them into following through on their temptation. And if you aren't If you aren't a follower of Jesus here this morning, welcome, firstly, but also know that actually you're always going to find an excuse to do something you know is wrong, to sin, as we would put it, if you do not have faith in Jesus and if you do not have that Holy Spirit living inside you. You see, you need Jesus if you want to escape temptation to sin. You need his help. Now you might be here thinking I'm just in a cycle or just keep going round and round I feel awful I'm guilt-filled I'm shame-filled well Jesus is the solution to that you need to know that this morning there is hope in him he's not going to condemn you for that he's going to welcome you to look at the cross and focus on it and consider what he did for you 2,000 years ago but as for us Christians they're the reasons why we can tackle temptation now how do we do that practically? To help us remember how to tackle temptation, I'm going to look at another Old Testament story about David and Bathsheba. And King David in the Old Testament, a well-renowned figure, a psalm writer, a poet, a great leader, a warrior, but ultimately a person susceptible to temptation. In 2 Samuel 11, the account of his fall into temptation starts like this. And it, I, like, I quite like reading it because it sounds a little bit awkward when they, when they have to write about it because they've written all these great things he's done, and then there's this event. Uh, So let me just read it. I'll read it to you as I would read it to myself. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. That's how it starts. That's it. Just the, it happens. You're thinking, what happened? Must have been awful. And it was. It so happened that David had been lounging about on his couch at home when he should have been at war, and decides to go for a walk on the top of his house. He decides to go outside and climb the stairs and take a look around. Now, what thought do you think inspired this? Well, I'll just fill in the blanks for you. From the top of his house, David could see some things. He could see the top of other people's houses. And I suspect that the thought he might have had when lounging was, I wonder what I'll see from the top of my house. I wonder if anyone's bathing in the late afternoon. Off he goes to the top of the house, and he looks down, and oh lo and behold, there is Bathsheba bathing on the top of a house, a beautiful naked woman bathing there. What does he do? He inquires, Who is this? Oh, can she come round for a cup of tea? He's your the king, of course she can. That's what they do. David then sleeps with her, Bathsheba falls pregnant, and David conspires to murder her husband. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, that's a pretty damning report of David. But where did it all start? It all started with a thought. Hmm, I'm a bit bored. I wonder what I'll do. What shall I do in the late afternoon? I know, I'll go for a little walk on the top of my house. It was that thought. That was the start of his temptation, which led David's feet to go up the steps. And by the time his feet were on the stairs, it was too late. As that thought developed, he compromised. He looked he invited and then fell into sin. And the ramifications of that sin echo throughout the rest of his life. And it all began with one thought. If I go to the roof, I'll probably get a better view. So what do we need to do to conquer temptation? What do we need to do to get to the root of it and stop that process of thought, compromise, sin, and death? Well, the first thing we need to learn to do is flee from temptation. Right at the entry point, the very first moment, and I just want to ground this in your life so you know roughly when this moment is, it's when the conversation you've been having at the school gate or the water cooler or at your desk about someone else who's not there gets a bit nasty. That's the moment to flee. When you think about flicking through TV channels or going online late at night, that's the moment. Or when you think about replying with a witty, yet slightly scything remark in that WhatsApp group that you're in. You see, to prevent the series of thought taking place to compromise the sin, you've got to take practical action, and you always have a choice at this point. You always have a choice in this moment. You've got the choice to walk away from that conversation immediately at the school gate, the water cooler, or your desk. You've even got a choice when you start to think about watching TV or going online late at night, and you have a choice to respond rather than react when you receive that WhatsApp message. When you face temptation, we are to flee from it. Referring to Joseph again, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. She clears the house out. She makes everything perfect. And then Joseph flees because he realizes what's going on. He flees from the temptation to sleep with Potiphar. And Sorry, take your pardon. Not Potiphar, his wife. Thank you, dude. <laughs> it's almost as awkward as when David had that thought now, isn't it? Anyway, um, so... <laughs> <laughs> we just done our series on sex and sexuality. Check it out online. Uh, that would be great. Um, so, sorry, self-control, return. Um, take, the action. take action. You've got to take action when temptation comes. You've got to flee. The next thing you need to do is take action when you're blasted. I'm going to explain what this mo- means in a moment. But in order to prevent anything going any further in the process, you need to work out what brought you to that point. What brought you to that thought? And for some of us, it might be circumstances or an emotional state that leads us into temptation. And reading of David, it seemed to be boredom, laziness, or simple passivity that got him into the mess he was in. He, shouldn't have been, uh, f- he should not have been out fighting in the battle somewhere, but instead was lounging at home. Not really kingly behavior. All right, everybody else go and fight. I'm just going to watch Netflix. See you when you get back. You know, that, that's not really kingly behavior. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to do, and he was a bit bored. And that's what sets off his thoughts. Now the post-it I have at home on it says blasted. And it says, we are most susceptible to sins of the flesh when we are blasted. And that means bored, lonely, angry, self pitying tired, extra stressed, or depressed. And I think the post-it's in Dale's handwriting. So he's going to be chuffed with that, that I brought that up in a, a sermon. But that's what it says. And it reminds me, actually, yes, hang on, in those moments when I'm bored... When I feel a bit alone, when I'm angry, self-pitying, tired, stressed, depressed, uh, I'm susceptible. That's when the thoughts are going to come. That's when the enemy is going to try and deceive you into sinning. And in that moment, we may have to take more practical action. We may need to call someone. We may need to pray, lead me not into temptation, Lord, help me. But again, we have a choice. And the danger is that a cycle develops in those moments. So then we associate those states with uh, sinning and fall into a habit of thinking those things that lead us into temptation and then sin. And those things ultimately will prevent us from maturing in Christ. And we all want to grow. We all want to try and mature in Christ. And that's what we're designed to do in a, uh, in a spiritual way is to grow in him. And if we get stuck in a cycle, then you can be there for years if you're not careful. And that's why we run Freedom in Christ, that's why we do the grace course, etc. But if you are in a cycle... There is something you can do. It's not uh, a complete loss. And I don't know if there's any gardeners in the room, but gardeners will know this about some weeds particularly, that roots can be really hard to get out of particular weeds. And there's a weed called bindweed, uh, which is particularly invasive, and it goes down almost 20 feet in places. And if you're a regular gardener without a JCB, you're not going to be able to deal with that very easily uh, at all. And even if you chop bindweed up, I'm told, small sections can just plant a new plant altogether. And the same really applies with thoughts. You can dig them out. You can dig out the lies. You can do freedom in Christ once. But then maybe there'll just be a tiny shred of that that will come back and start sprouting again and you have to deal with it. And it can be hard to shift. Even though you thought you defeated them, they can still be there. And so we have to do this process regularly, review our thinking, And for some of us, it is that cycle, that habitual way of thinking that brings us through to sin every time, and we need to deal with it. We need to rewind and work out, what is it along the lines somewhere in my life? Did I start to believe that isn't true about me, isn't true about God, that isn't true about my uh, reality? And Jesus kind of models what we are to do once we've found out what the lie is. So if you've established the lie, you then need to find, go to the scriptures and find out where God counteracts that with his word and and Jesus models it in Matthew's gospel when he uh, is being tempted in the desert by Satan and you can read that whole account in Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 to 11 and Jesus's reply every time is it is written he quotes scripture back to Satan and it's a little bit scary that Satan knows the scriptures and sometimes he knows the scriptures better than we do which is why we have to be really diligent about going around finding these scriptures and reading our bible regularly getting into that pattern so that we can push the enemy back at every turn. And Claire Blaze recently did a sword-fighting discipleship stream with us where she taught people how to memorize scripture. And I would just encourage you, if you want to do that, speak to Claire. She is the business. I think she even uh, changed that track by the Bee Gees recently into a Bible verse, which is Staying Alive. Does everyone know that one? Yeah, Lorraine's nodding, so I'm good. So Staying Alive, you know that. I'm not going to sing it to you. Uh, You can ask Claire for that. But she basically has learned how to embed these truths into her mind so that she might defeat the enemy and his big gun of temptation and that's what we need to learn to do is take practical help and spiritual skill to to defeat him and uh for me there's a verse that i i rely on i sometimes if i go running uh rarely uh i i have this verse and if i'm facing some kind of battle then i'll repl- i'll repeat this out loud as i run along submit yourselves then to god Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I'm even doing the arms while I was doing it. Um, it and that, I just repeat it. I repeat it, I repeat it. And it just helps a lot. And so there's lots of ways there we can tackle temptation. There's more. Uh, you can learn about it on the courses I've mentioned. But that's what we've done this morning. We've covered three headings. The truth about temptation. Why and how we can tackle it. And if you're like me, you need something practical to do after hearing a sermon like this. You need to tell me what exactly do I need to do. Uh, Well, application-wise, you can do this. You can acknowledge that you have a choice when it comes to temptation. Referring to the Krispy Kreme thing earlier, you can choose whether to endorse that thought or bat it away if you're on a diet. second thing you can do is put practical defenses in place to avoid being blasted. And then if you do get into that situation, have an action plan in case you get caught off guard, knowing what you will do. And thirdly, you can commit to digging up those roots of habitual thinking that leads to temptation and then do it regularly, whether it's whenever the courses come around, you do that, or whether you decide to review it with a friend or accountability partner in some way. That's what you can do on the practical end there. And so, in conclusion, you may remember the escape room I mentioned. Well, if you think about it, being locked in a room with people you trust, knowing there is only one proper way of escape is a little bit like tackling temptation. We can remember that when we face temptation, we've got a team around us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Church, who work with us to help us escape temptation. We can remember that there is a proper route of escape that isn't always the obvious option. I've been in an escape room where someone said, well, should we just kick the door down? I'm pretty sure that's not what the escape room builders intended for you at the start, but I'm pretty sure if you put five boots to that door all in one go, you could definitely do it. It's not really the right option, though. You need to remember, just like the escape room, that the test will only last for an appointed amount of time, and God, who is faithful, won't let us go into the room or go into temptation without ensuring there is a way out. And he'll even use the radio to call down to you and encourage you when you're facing that temptation prayer plus when we do all these things to engage the enemy on this front rather than be passive and tackle temptation there is a much higher success rate than 30 percent knowing all these things should be our comfort it can supply us with joy in trials and temptations i hope that we will be the case for you from now on i'm going to pray and uh, then we're going to respond father thank you this thank you for that verse lord that we can drill down into remembering your faithful remembering your goodness remembering that you have provided everything we need to escape trial and temptation and we can remember that we are blessed as followers of jesus that we have him with us like the guys in the fiery furnace we have a savior who's not unused to trial and suffering we appreciate that and we're blessed that you have sent us your holy spirit to fill us, to enable us to overcome and tackle temptation at every turn. I pray that you'd come right now and bless us. Come right now and fill us. Come and help anyone who might be struggling with temptation this morning. In your name, amen. Amen. Good. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Thanks.